for the fourth time. I am not Joe Flacco. This is not Joe Flacco, the podcast. We're talking Josh Allen. A, a, one of my followers thinks the Seahawks are going to win the Super Bowl this year. I had to smack that down. And Andrew calls in asking about my thoughts on the 17 playoff. Thanks for listening. Like, subscribe, follow, whatever fucking button you've got to push. Let's get into the questions. Episode 4 of Nacho Flacco the Podcast is brought to you by golf. As in, why the fuck can't I golf right now? I get the social distancing thing, but I'm outdoors. I can stand six feet from people. They shouldn't be anywhere fucking near me while I'm teeing off. I can wear a mask. Give me my own cart, even. Why the fuck are the golf courses closed? Josh Allen is going to be a top 15 quarterback at least next year because with the addition of Stephon Diggs, it gives Josh Allen a wide receiver one for the first time in his Buffalo tenure. Somebody who can go up and catch the ball. This this in turn leads to a more open field for him and easier looks because you put the speedy John Brown on the other side of Diggs and that provides for matchup nightmares for defenses where you have two very good receivers on the field at the same time so that Brian Dable can scheme up easier looks for Josh Allen, whether it be Cole Beasley or Dawson Knox or Devin Singletary. And with the improvement in completion percentage and accuracy, Josh Allen will be playing a dynamic style similar to Cam Newton in his 2015 MVP season. And while everyone says Josh Allen's a worse version of Cam Newton right now, now that he has weapons, as long as he makes good decisions, which he showed promise of doing at the end of last season, he'll be top 15, at least AJ, I like this question. This one's right in my fucking wheelhouse. I love this question. Bill's Mafia has been on my ass about my Josh Rosen, my Josh Allen hate. And it's not that I hate the guy. I really don't give a shit. It's that I just don't think that a guy with his profile, with his stats, is ever going to lead you anywhere. And the first, no, the, there's two numbers that I just kind of know from all the reading I've I've done because I don't listen. I don't watch a lot of Bills games, but from the reading I've done, right? If you're under sixty percent as a passer, and if you're under seven yards per attempt as a passer, you're in terrible territory. Well, Josh Allen's under on those two numbers, and so in prepping for this question, I went back and I looked at all the passers from the last 10 years, who in their first two years were under 60%, under 7 yards per attempt, and under 200 yards a game. And they had to have thrown at least 700 passes. So big sample size, terrible production. Those names. You guys are going to fucking, you guys are going to freak out. Okay. I can't help it. Christian Ponder. Geno Smith. Blaine Gabbert, Jacoby Brissett, Josh Rosen, Deshaun Kaiser, Josh Allen. 
Now, how do you feel? Are are you are you jumping through tables excited right now? Because how the fuck are you gonna now that you know this? How do you go into next season excited? The really the best quarterback on that list just got benched for thirty eight year old Philip Rivers. I'll read him again: Christian Ponder, Geno Smith, Blaine Gabbert, Jacoby Brissett, Josh Rosen. Deshaun Kaiser, Josh Allen. Under 60%, under 7 yards per attempt, under 200 yards. And this is in their first two seasons as professionals. That's that's Josh Allen's territory right now. And he's not even necessarily, like, he doesn't have the best stats on, of, of the guys on that list either. I mean, Christian Ponder threw, has thrown for more touchdowns in his first two years. He's not in football. Um, that's a bad list. So the next thing that you guys are going to say is, I'm talking to Bill's Mafia. The next thing you guys are going to say is, but Stefan Diggs. And Stefan Diggs was, was not welcome in Minnesota anymore. Now the Bills made a great offer for him. First round pick. It blew the Deshaun, or sorry, the DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, offer out of the water and they made a huge play for Stefan Diggs which is great good for them but Stefan the, the Vikings let him go I mean the Vikings were a playoff team last year the Vikings have Kirk they've got their quarterback that's a they've got they've got a team why would you just give up a guy like Stefan Diggs well it's because he wanted out he was a pain in the ass and he's a diva and sure most Wide receivers are divas or at least have that like divaness to them, right? They all want the ball. They all think they 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 need they, they all think they need the ball in their hands if the team's gonna win. Let's just put it in the best possible thing. Let's make it not about individual numbers or anything else. If the team's gonna win, I have to catch the ball. And that's how they think. And that's good, right? Because all their lives they've been the man on their team. And if they catch the ball, their team wins. So good. Fine. But Stefan Diggs was miserable last year and caught 75% of the passes thrown his way. Because Kirk Cousins is an accurate passer. He completed 69% of his passes. And did very well when he was targeting, even better than that, when he was targeting Stefan Diggs. John Brown last year was the Bills' leading wide receiver. He he caught 62% of his targets. Now, some of this is going to be on the receiver and some of this is going to be on the quarterback, but I don't think Stefan Diggs is cracking 70% this year in terms of catches per target. Because I don't think Josh Allen is accurate enough to do that. And, what do you think Stephon Diggs is going to do? I mean, Stephon Diggs got to play indoors with an accurate quarterback on a playoff team. What's he going to do when he has to play in freezing-ass Buffalo, outdoors, catching a lower percentage of his targets, and maybe, maybe they make the playoffs? Do you think Stephon Diggs is going to be 
four, five, six games into this, sitting there going like, holy fuck, what am I doing here? Because I would be if I'm him. Let's just go back to that first list because it still cracks me the fuck up. Christian Ponder, Geno Smith, Blaine Gabbert, Jacoby Brissett, Josh Rosen, Deshaun Kaiser, and Josh Allen. Under 60%, under 7 yards per attempt, under 200 yards a game. But he runs the ball. Sure, so did Christian Ponder. So did Blaine Gabbert. It's not pretty, guys. Uh, So from this season, because Josh Allen made this huge improvement. Only one guy that threw for more yards than him had a completion rate under 60%. It was was Baker Mayfield. You guys happy yet? And I'll bring it back to my guy. Jimmy Garoppolo. Only threw 15 more passes than Josh Allen last year. Threw for 900 more yards, 7 more touchdowns, and 1.7 more yards per attempt. On only 15 more passes, 900 more yards, 7 more touchdowns. And didn't do it with a remarkable receiving core. He had a rookie, Debo Samuel, who didn't really start coming on until midway through the season. They had to trade for Emmanuel Sanders, again, third of the way, halfway through the season. Kendrick Bourne was, you know, just kind of a red zone guy. Kittle didn't even have the year he had the prior year. But on 15 more passes, 900 more yards, seven more touchdowns. So So to sum this up, I have 16 words for you. Christian Ponder, Geno Smith, Blaine Gabbert, Jacoby Brissett, Josh Rosen, Deshaun Kaiser, Josh Allen. Have a nice Monday. Because of their free agent signings and trades, the Seahawks are going to win Super Bowl 55. Seahawks are winning the Super Bowl. Yeah, this is not Joe Flacco bait right here. So let's look at Carl, the 2019 Seahawks. Top 10 offense, Russell Wilson, you know, still hasn't gotten an MVP vote. Even a vote? God, imagine. Uh, But (laughs) top 10 offense. Russell Wilson still one, still probably the scariest quarterback in the league to face, other than maybe Patrick Mahomes, if your team is down or up or whatever. But you've got the quarterback thing figured out. But what's up with that defense? Twenty second in points given up, twenty six in yards given up, and that's with Jadavion Clowney. And you guys haven't even signed Clowney yet. He's still floating out there. He almost went to the Browns. I've talked at length about the Seahawks record in one score games, but now that it's just me and you and maybe 12 other people that are listening or watching on YouTube, teams that go 10 and two like the Seahawks did in one score games 
on average, lose four games off of their record the following year. I went back and looked, going back to 2009. And the Seahawks had a point differential this season of seven points. That means they only outscored their t- their opponents by a combined seven points all season. I found, since 2009, I only found two other teams with point differentials between zero and 20. So they at least scored, outscored their teams by a combined, you know, maybe a little more than a point a game at most. That was the 2014 Cardinals and the 2009 Bengals. Now what's kind of crazy to me is that Carson Palmer was the quarterback for both of these teams, which has no bearing on anything that the fucking Seahawks are doing, but I just thought it was interesting that I'm looking for Seahawks stuff and I come across two random-ass teams, the 2014 Cardinals and the 2009 Bengals, that both fit the same description as the as the Seahawks. Because not only did they have a point differential of between 0 and 20, but the Seahawks, the Cards, and the Bengals were the only three teams to win more than 10 games with that point differential. Every other team is between 6 and 10 and 9 and 7. Again, that should tell you that the Seahawks got very, very lucky. Because one-score games are definitionally supposed to be a coin flip. Because at the end of the season, you add up all the one-score games, and there's going to be half or wins, half or losses. And so you're supposed to finish around 500. And they've done all sorts of studies, and you know you can be marginally better year over year. But it doesn't, you know, if you've got the right quarterback, like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning tend to have better records in one-score games. So Russell Wilson's going to have, he's a elite quarterback. He's going to have a better record in one-score games. But eight wins, 10 and, ten and two in one-score games, when the league average for 12 games would have been six and six. Seven and five, you know, would have been normal and nobody blinks an eye. But 10 and 2 is extravagant. And teams like that end up losing games, more games, the next year. So if the Seahawks, who won 11 and 5 this year, lose three games off their record this year, they're 8 and 8. And I don't think you're winning the Super Bowl from 8 and 8. Now, you might because we're going to a seventh playoff team, but it doesn't feel like a real dominant team. So they've, they haven't re signed Clowney. And the Seahawks have perpetually needed offensive line help. And last year was no different because otherwise, you know, Russell no, Russell Wilson likes to get back there and scramble around. And he's really fucking good at it and it drives me nuts. But you'd, you'd still like to keep him safe. You'd still like to, you know, keep him on rhythm and keep the offense moving without him having to do all the, all the magic, the Russell Wilson magic. So what did they do? They signed like 43-year-old Greg Olson to play tight end. They signed Brandon Shell, who lost his job as a offensive lineman on the Jets and only got it back because the guy he the rookie he lost it to, he got hurt. And then they sent some other kind of knickknack backups to go along with it. So I think they're expecting that coaching is gonna be the thing that raises the bar here. But they're also going through a massive turnover. Upati is a free agent. I think they're, they're dealing with some stuff with Justin Britt. Like, that line is in complete flux. And again, 
at some point you're going to have to start blocking for Russell Wilson. Now they ran the ball really well last year, which was a change for them because normally they haven't even been able to run the ball and Russell Wilson's had to do everything. But they didn't play defense and they couldn't get after the passer. I think they were second to last in the league in sacks with Jadavion Clowney. So they signed Bruce Irvin, brought him back, but they still haven't re-signed Clowney. So there's no wonder that Russell Wilson is out there simping for JD, Jadavion Clowney right now, being, hey, brother, you got to come back, man. We need you. We can win a Super Bowl with you. Maybe you'll win nine games with him, but I'm not sure you're winning nine games without him. Now, let's go back to the 2014 Cardinals and the 2009 Bengals. Because the 2009 Bengals went, again, they won 10 or 11 games. This is teams that won more, double-digit wins. The year after, the 2010 Bengals, with the same quarterback, went 4-12. and So they went from uh, 11-5 to 4-12. and Same quarterback. The Cardinals went from 10 and 6 to 13 and 3, but they jacked up their point differential 170 points year over year. Now, I don't give a shit why they did it or how they did it or any of that other stuff. But what I'm saying is, is that it's never, it's incredibly rare for the Seahawks to have put up the season they just did, going 11 and 5 with a point differential of 7. My four-year-old can count to seven. Actually, a lot higher than that now. 20? It's fucking genius. Um, but a point differential of seven is an average team. You're supposed to be about average. They're supposed to win eight games, and they won 11. Now, they're gonna, they're probably going to lose some games off that record next year. I don't see how they got better. And you're talking about additions they've made. Unless they're putting Greg Olson in a time machine or Brandon Shell doesn't get beat out by a rookie this year. Maybe you want him to get beat out by a rookie. I don't know. But I don't know how you feel good about the additions they've made. Bruce Irvin, sure. But if you just swap Bruce Irvin for Jadavion Clowney, what the fuck have you gained? Nothing. So anyways, I don't see the Seahawks winning a Super Bowl next year. But I'm also a Niners fan. So we'll see. Thanks for calling in. Andrew's question is, what do I think? Basically, what do I think of the seven-team playoffs in each conference now and, and the potential for them adding an extra game at the end of the season? So I'll kind of tackle those things one by one by one. The first thing is, I don't really give a shit about the seventh playoff team. It's going to make it a harder run for the two seed. But that's about it. It's going to be more likely that the... It's going to be more likely that a seven and nine team or an 8-8 eight and eight team makes the playoffs. Now, I don't know why... Other Okay, listen, it's money, okay? Other than money, I don't have a rationalization. I don't, there's no justification for adding an extra average team to the playoffs. 
it, unless you're just trying to rig something so the Cowboys fans get one more game to watch. So I don't quite under. I, I mean, I understand it from a money perspective. You get two extra playoff games every year. Now you get to put a game on Nickelodeon. It's going to be Bills Titans calling it right now. So they think they're going to be able to appeal to a wider audience, a more kid-friendly audience. Okay, great. They're getting an extra average team in there, which the number two seed should feast on. Fine. But we also just saw a wildcard team go into New Orleans last year and beat them. So now you've got a – and then the week after did nothing against the 49ers. So for the one seed's perspective, things might – just get a little extra, even easier for them. You might be making this even easier on the one seed because you're giving that two seed, the second best team in the conference, a harder path to the Super Bowl. And so when you do that, you know, the number two seed's path gets harder. The one seed's path basically stays the same. So the one, so I think we're going to see more Average or worse teams make the playoffs. Obviously, they've added a uh, they've added a, a playoff game. They've added a, an extra seed. But on top of that, I think we might see more one seeds actually make the Super Bowl because they're the only team that gets the bye. The second best team in the conference now has to play an extra game, and that that changes things. Every extra game is an extra opportunity for injury. Every extra game is an extra game of wear and tear. Uh, the, the two seed doesn't get a buy anymore. They don't get to rest up. And then the third thing, I just think thought of this. You're going to have the two and three seeds, and maybe even the four seeds, will have less to play for in week 17. Because if they know that they can't get to the one seed, but they also know that they can't lose their home game. They can't like give up their home game. Why are they going to play their why are they going to play their starters in week 17? So I think this is going to end up hurting the quality of of the game in a couple different ways. Again, one it's one extra potentially it's one extra bye week for these teams in the two, three, and four slots. Because three and four, they were going to have to play anyways. If they're locked in, they're probably resting the starts. But now you've got the, the, the two seed as well, resting their players, because they want their guys to get a, to get a game off. Five, six, and seven, they're still playing because they're probably still fighting for seeds and and, who, and who's going to, one of them's trying to get to the four seed, et cetera, you know. That's 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 still going to happen, but you're making it so that potentially a worse team gets to play the one seed later on in the playoffs. You're taking away uh, incentive in week 17 for the two seed to play their game starters, and you're letting a worse team into the playoffs. But the rationalization is money, and these guys run a business, so no sense in arguing this one. They know what they're doing. They've had these arguments. And they don't care about the quality of play. The extra game, though, the extra game that they're thinking of adding to the schedule, 
that's negligent and or criminal. Like it, <clears throat> the players approved it. Fine, they shouldn't have. This game is already dangerous enough. There's already too many injuries, and there's too many teams that are too banged up at the end of the season. And now you're adding an extra six percent of the season, six or seven percent of the season. You're just going to see more guys get hurt. And they're not making that much extra money. It's like a flat 250 for everybody. That's a lot of money to you and me. But not to them. And it certainly shouldn't have been worth the risk to their career, their seasons, or anything else. In a, in a, in a sport where one hit can cripple you for the rest of your life. Getting that little money. Like they didn't even get, the the owners are getting so much extra money from the extra playoff game. They're getting so much extra money from an extra week of, now that they can get, they they can sell an extra week to their TV partners and say, you don't have to come up with your own content. You don't have to come up with your own, Shows. You don't have to produce them. You just have to air our stuff for an extra week a year. And those 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 TV networks are going to pay through the nose for that. All that money goes to the owners. And it filters down to the players. But the owners wouldn't do this if it didn't make them money. And unfortunately, they've put, they put the players in a position where the players, it ended up being a coin flip. It was like 51-49 for a vote. And 51% of the players were like, sure, I'll take that extra risk with my body and my health. From a meme page perspective, great, fine. You know, more NFL news, the better. So I'm, ha- I, you know, I'm happy. I feel for the players, though. And I especially feel for the players that voted against it. Because they they know what's coming. And they don't just know what's coming for themselves. They know what's coming 5 and 10 and 15 years down the line because the NFL is never going to go back. They're never going to shave a game off the schedule. It's Because they'll because they'll have already sold these packages to the, to the TV networks. And so they won't be able to go back without actually having to pay out of pocket. So this is, this is the slippery slope. All right? You get one extra game, then you get one extra game, then you get one extra game. And uh, I think I think maybe not the players that are that voted against it or voted for it right now. Those guys might not regret it, but the players five and six years from now that are starting their career, that you know, a ten-year career is a hundred is now one hundred and sixty games, and then. Then it's going to be 170 games. Those extra 10 games, that's an extra 10 games that you could be crippled. And you're going to see more injuries, more guys getting um, seriously hurt. And, uh, you know, it's it's the players that – it's the owners and the players that voted for it this time that are going to uh, – no, the owners aren't going to fucking toss and turn. 
and the and the players aren't either. But they're going to be the ones responsible for the injuries that are happening in these extra games over these next years. And uh, unfortunately, it's it's set in stone at this point. Again, the owners are never going back. They're more likely to add two more games than they are to give up one. So that's all I got on this. Don't really care about the playoff extra playoff game. I think it'll make quality of play in the playoffs worse and in late in the season worse. But I also get an extra playoff game, so I'm good with it. The extra game in the season, though, I think that's, if we're being honest, I think that's a mistake just kind of morally. I mean, these guys are already playing an incredibly dangerous game, and asking them to play uh, to play one more with uh, with that kind of risk of injury just somebody should have, somebody should have said this is too far. But I wasn't in that room, so there we go. Hey, Nacho Flacco, my debate to you would be about the new proposed CBA that got accepted, about seven teams making the playoffs and having that extra game at the end of the year. And my take on it is I completely disagree with it, and I think it's quite stupid. So, uh, yeah, thank you. If you've made it this far, I appreciate it. Hope you liked what I had to say. If you didn't like it, I hope you come back next week and hear more of the stupid shit that comes out of my mouth. Thanks for listening. Go ahead, like, subscribe, review, whatever you got to do. Help me get that podcast clout. Thanks, guys. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.